All right, hello and welcome to the episode. <laughs> the episode. I'll just welcome to the episode. Welcome to the episode. Welcome to the at U2 podcast. Episode number 46 is what my brain was thinking, but I forgot about the first part of that sentence. Where we talk all things U2, album news and tour dates. Not quite yet, but rumored and community discussions from the staff at U2. Of course, we're doing our album by album discussion and we're landing on all that you can't leave behind this episode. But first, we must meet our guests, our co-hosts that we didn't leave behind. I've got uh, Sherry back on the on the show. Hello, Sherry. Hey, you know what I realized for 2017? I can't sing, but I've got soul. <laughs> and Marilyn's back as well. Hi, everybody. Hey, Marilyn and Ian. Hey, hello. And last but not least, Tasula. It's Tasula right here, and I have prepared to let you all know there's nothing you can throw at me that I haven't already heard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nicely done. I agonized over that. Like, I was going through lyrics all day yesterday. I'm not even kidding. That so sounds when, like a challenge. When two of you skipped it, yeah. yeah. Well, last episode, I, 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 challenge, I said, if you're going to be on from now on, you got to have a album-specific uh, quote or quip or pun or something by way of introducing yourself so sherry okay. sherry set the bar but here's yeah. mine i'm hot as a hairdryer in your face <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one there you go <laughs> all right yes yeah, so we're on uh, all that you can't leave behind you're rolling right past yourself do you have a i don't I, i'm just oh. the the intro guy i don't uh, oh I don't have immune yeah. okay uh-huh. <laughs> i think he would admit that big girls are best Sula. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to have a quip i'll supply one for him you may want to prepare in the future yeah i'll probably be prepared next time <laughs> i almost <laughs> forgot about that single or b-side or whatever that's a fun, that's a funny one that, Great song. yeah um okay but before we get to the album we're just going to do a bit of miscellaneous discussion there's a, been a bit of uh well first of all there's a post on at youtube.com if you are inclined to help us out with things like puns and <laughs> editing uh, editing uh, articles and writing articles and sharing things and all sorts of YouTube stuff. The at YouTube crew is looking for more of us. I guess we're we're being replaced. Maybe I don't know. Are we being phased out? Is this? It's like when you see your your job posted on a board. Yeah. Before you've been told. <laughs> we we know. Yeah. We just we just want to get more people, not less people. Right. Other than podcast not- editor wasn't listed as a job. No, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your your position is safe. Okay, maybe. Yeah. The rest of us are in danger. <laughs> Matt hasn't fired me. Um, and so, yeah, you check out the post on at ut.com. The link will be in the show notes, which you can find at goodstuff.fm slash atu2 slash 46. We're up to, I think. Is that right? That's feel- Yeah. Um, and also a bit of tour news. Uh, who wants to share? Somebody wants to just gloss over in a brief way, because by the time folks listen to this, they might have more details already. But- Let's put it this way. If you are not already a subscriber to YouTube.com, and if you have not already updated your mailing address or renewed your subscription, now is the time to do it. Do not pass go. Do not collect your $200. Go and do it, because we are anticipating within the next week or less a tour announcement surrounding the Joshua Tree's 30th anniversary. There, um, uh, there's rumors that they're going to be doing a uh, brief stadium jaunt between the U.S. and Europe. Um, all information will be announced very, very shortly. These are going to be a special set of gigs. We're anticipating that'll be kind of like Springsteen's The River Tour, but there's no confirmation on that where 
where we're hoping that they're going to perform the whole album cover to cover um, uh, in that special set of dates. So more news will be forthcoming. But as I said, if you are a subscriber to YouTube.com, make sure that you have all of your information updated because ticket pre-sales may be happening very soon. Right. So the reason being, like you said, to, to, if you subscribe, you get early access, right, to tickets. Is that sort of the yeah, the typically benefit? you get like like either um, 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 two tickets to one show uh, in Europe or two tickets to two shows um, um, in the U.S. Uh, I don't know what their rules are going to be this time around uh, uh, due to scalpers and, and all that other stuff. But all information will be uh, announced through the official YouTube channels. So uh, don't believe anything unless you see it on YouTube.com. Right, exactly. Or hear it at about it at youtube.com is the Which we'll get off of youtube.com. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can trust us, even though we just said not to. Uh, <laughs> I'm fired for that, yeah, aren't I? Exactly. Can we have a replacement? Sherry's sure, understudy. Um, and uh, someone I don't know who it is, but uh, Mark Peterborough is doing a YouTube World Cup. Who's typing there that I don't know? Missoula. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what bird I am or animal I <laughs> yeah, am in and Google the... Docs, but um, but yeah, that's me. And I have a good time lobbying for Volcano on this current World Cup challenge. So all of you join me only if you plan on voting for Volcano and jump in and vote. It's open to everyone. So hashtag YouTube Millennium Songs is that's right. Where you can sort of track the discussion, or we'll have Mark's uh, uh, Twitter account in the show notes as well. So, whereas our friend Beth and Bono is really advocating for uh, stand-up comedy, so I'm just saying. <laughs> nice. All right, and a couple of listener questions, follow-up stuff, uh, sort of related to the discussion. But uh, at Joe underscore Ahoro said, "You two going retro and looking back, celebrating Joshua Tree. Strange isn't thought they always wanted to look forward, which is interesting to do because Bono, you know, famously has sort of said." Uh, you know, if we stare at the past too long, we'll dry up and all that kind of stuff. And uh, but obviously, in their older age, I guess maybe they're and and or wanting some money for retirement, <laughs> they're happy to look back and or celebrate. Maybe Live Nation wants some money. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm we'll not see. Cynical. Yeah, and also uh, at the edge, 1980. Welcome to the future. Said how to get in, how to get in touch with the band and our management regarding what the band is up to. I have a fan letter for them. We at at u2.com, despite having u2 in our domain name. We don't have any direct connection to U2, unfortunately. Um, there's the, what is it, the Zootopia forums on U2.com maybe is one place to post something if you're hoping to get in touch with them or obviously tweeting at them um, might be another way. But we don't have any direct connections that we're able to use in that way. So all the best. We do get people emailing us and asking us to get in touch with them, special requests and things like that. But unfortunately, we don't have that kind of information. So... Yeah, so if you want them to play at your wedding <laughs> yeah. or you want Bono to leave a voicemail message for your mother, we are not the people to turn to on that. Yeah, exactly. If you want to have a collaboration with you two and you have lyrics to submit, we're not necessarily the best place for that. <laughs> exactly. We might run off with them for the At You Two band and make our own songs if you send us good lyrics anyways so anyways moving along we uh i was just thinking that the heartbreaking ones are the ones that where it's like somebody is sick and they want to get in touch with bono and you're like i really wish i could help you that would be awesome no. that sound that sounds amazing and i wish you all the best but uh you yeah we just have no way of doing it so 
Anyways, moving on, we're going to jump right into our at, at YouTube roundtable, which is our discussion of the album All That You Can't Leave Behind. By way of introduction, if this is your first episode of the podcast, you happen to be jumping into we've been doing Boy to Songs of Innocence or whatever may happen here this year. Uh, going back, starting with episode number 34 at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 34 with Boy, of course. And uh, we find ourselves now at All That You Can't Leave Behind. So, um Sherry, I think you'd thrown in some just some notes as far as what giving us a bit of uh, context for where they were at. This is from U2 by U2, the mammoth book that was out a few years ago. But um, do you want to give us some highlights as far as what was going on when they were recording the album? Yeah, sure. Um, um, Bono was having one of those um, um, moments where everything was happening around him. So he had a uh, um, a cancer scare himself where he had to go in for a throat biopsy. It came back negative, but um, it started to put things into focus for him because at, at uh, around the time when the recording sessions began for this, um, he, he found out that his father had cancer. Um, Michael Hutchins, uh, one of his uh, uh, BFFs, had um, an untimely death. His wife, Allie, was pregnant with Elijah at the time. Um, 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 Edge and uh, Morley were also expecting. Um, and uh, there was just a lot going on in his life where he kind of felt like, you know, uh, 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 whether it's it's uh, it's a father dying or a friend dying or a new life coming in um, um, into uh, the world, uh, he said it seemed like a moment to make an album about essential things. He wanted an emotionally raw uh, record about real life and responsibilities that come with that life and the joy of just being alive and being awake. Um, and and just the scare of not being able to sing again, he decided that he just wasn't going to mess around. We're also looking at uh, his side project, The Million Dollar Hotel, was in script development uh, in movie production. And then there was the soundtrack that went along with that. That was going on at the same time. And of course, as everybody knows, that was really the uh, start of Bono's uh, advocacy work on behalf of Jubilee 2000, which then turned into the one campaign and data and all of that stuff. So Larry has been quite vocal about um, about that type of work and how it impacted the band um, and its ability to um, function, but it didn't impact the the uh, creativity or the or or the uh, quality of the recording process. But it was starting to play heavily in the band relationships as they're seeing people like George W. Bush and Jesse Helms. And these are some of the people who um, um, don't necessarily subscribe to the other band members' way of thinking, let alone Bono's. So um, it started creating a little bit of a uh, um, fracture within the band, but it wasn't obviously anything that would cause the band to break up. So um, it, it it was a very interesting time. Plus, they were coming off of Pop and Pop Mart, and uh, they sort of needed to dream it up all over again. And that's what they successfully did with this album. Yeah, and wasn't there, there's also a story of like uh, Bono losing lyrics again for the, <laughs> you think by now, uh, or stolen or something. I forget. Oh, it was, um, was wasn't that the set that was in Nice when they were t- doing the swimming pool photo shoot or something? Yeah. I Am I, is it the right, is this the right, al- yeah, I guess it would have been. It would have been this. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So 
and uh, yeah, there's a, it's 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 a fun, great album coming out of all that stuff that you know was going on. And, and I remember being as a fan, not really aware. And all of a sudden, there's this million dollar hotel soundtrack, and you're like, what is this? And where how does that fit with everything? And um, some really good songs on there, which someday we'll cover maybe if we ever finish. <laughs> discussions but uh, and uh, at Kevin S. Will we talk about that before Passengers? Yeah, I don't know. Or will Passengers come first? <laughs> B-sides and other albums will be well, soundtracks. I don't know. We'll, Songs of experience will be done yeah. before that. <laughs> I'm not um, so certain at this point. <laughs> At Kevin STU said, could you consider adding discussion of the outtakes for the podcast for all that you can't leave behind? And YouTube War 40 said, these sessions have the second best batch of leftovers. Levitate, love you like mad, summer rain, always always flower child and ground beneath her feet. Not quite Joshua Tree and rattle and hum, but solid. And I would just definitely second that. Yeah, uh, me too. We won't be going through every single outtake. And, and that's, again, a uh, discussion for another podcast someday. But uh, they were released officially as part of, a, I think it was the bundle of every single U2 song of the, at the time that iTunes did. They had to deal and with. a lot of those were also released as as part of the seven CD that was available at uh, Target. Target stores mm-hmm. in the U.S. Right. <laughs> yeah, I have to- one of those for sale. If anyone would like to buy my extra. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No time no, like we're the present. Sula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, someone threw it in the notes here, but just briefly, the naming of it. Uh, there is that. I remember learning this too. The passage in. Uh, the Bible, Joshua, th- right? Where is that here? Joshua thirty-three, three or whatever, which is also possibly. Was- well, this one here, um, um, the passage in Corinthians, uh, was where the album title came from. The Joshua or the or the um, Jeremiah thirty-three, th- uh, three, uh, was the um, was the reference on the album cover that Bono calls it to be uh, God's phone number as it says call unto me and I will answer the great and mighty things which thou knowest not but the actual uh, naming of the album came from the Corinthians passage um, about a house uh, going on on fire and it seems to suggest that when in death we eventually face judgment that uh, uh, all that is made of straw and wood would be burned away and only eternal things will survive Um, so, so that bonfire of the vanities and as you throw anything uh, you want on the fire whatever you want more than than love it has to go and the phrase all that you can't leave behind is at the end of walk on yeah um, and uh, yeah someone uh, again anonymous fruit is writing or something and <laughs> that this is U2's first <laughs> digital album oh Ian is writing that which is a good point actually Ian do you want to <laughs> go with your comment sure yeah because um, with Pop Mart I remember they had uh, like kind of a peekaboo camera where you could see them recording the album and stuff like that but with all you can't leave behind they for a while had a proto website which was just this kind of schematic of a house with rooms and as you'd go through the rooms you could hear little snippets of the songs and they also released a special uh bonus this was back when the website was free when you didn't have to pay to be a member uh, they released a little thing that you could add on to your PC and this little YouTube dirigible would show up on your screen and toss out all that you can't leave behind suitcases that would bounce uh, to the bottom of the screen. And this was the first album where the entire thing was available online for download before it was available for purchase. 
And I remember at the time, Edge and Bono thought that was really cool. I don't know if they've changed their mind since then. But They didn't have yeah. an E.T. moment with Apple at that point. Yeah, did they? exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, ju- I just remember being in the uh, computer lab at school, and uh, I found them. I forget what was hosting them, but I just downloaded them all. And, it, yeah, it was the first time I had ever downloaded tracks and uh, made an album out of them digitally and um yeah it it was all very very cool really enjoyed it 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 really set the tone for uh what was coming and also they had the first number one song in iTunes if i remember correctly with uh stuck in a moment you can't get out of that was the acoustic version there was the first number one track that um was on iTunes after it started selling tracks rather than just uh playing pre-existing audio files right yeah, when they and they the sort of infamous of like allowing people to buy pick cherry pick songs uh, instead of just or singles or whatever instead of having to buy the full album and the debate that ensued and obviously uh, one one <laughs> so and uh, again, someone else is right the pre tour I remember the two the that this was sort of where like the band the you know infamously reapplying for the job of the best band in the world and all that kind of stuff that Bono keeps doing over and over but the they definitely seem to be like, okay, we're going to really promote this. We're not going to sort of be cheeky about it and go to Kmart or whatever um, this time, but we're actually going to go and do like the promotional circuit that they seem to sort of not do in past album releases anyways, as definitely not to the degree that they did with this album. Um, I don't know who, if who wrote that and who wants to get <laughs> come on. That would be the anonymous penguin okay. or, or um, whoever <laughs> I'm, I'm popping up as. Yeah. They, they did, um, uh, it was a handful of um, shows between Europe and the U.S. They did Farm Club. Um, they did a, a um, um, where they would play for about an hour, mostly the new stuff. And it was really the first time in over a decade that they poured resources into the pre-promotion for the album before it was released on um, what was it, October thirtieth or thirty-first of two thousand. Um, if you go to um, uh, uh, our uh, uh, tours area on on at YouTube. You can look up all of the um, pre-tour information. But I just remembered, you know, they they really uh, uh, flooded um, all available avenues uh, to promote this album in a way that they hadn't done since the '80s, um, which signaled to me at least that. Um, they knew that they had a lot of ground to make up after uh, what they were going through between, you know, 1994 to 2000. Um, they lost a lot of ground in in um, the U.S. marketplace specifically. Um, and then to have the strength of uh, Beautiful Day at, at the Grammys, which I'm sure that we'll talk about later on, um, that really catapulted everything. Um, but, yeah, this was the first time where where whoever wanted to talk with them they accepted interviews which surprised many many people yeah they put i remember they played trl on mtv i think it was probably the last <laughs> yeah the last from um, the rooftop of, yep. of, the, of mtv studios yeah yep. with carson daly i think it was probably the last time they ever played live on mtv but yeah <laughs> They did still seem to do a lot of their promo stuff with a bit extra of uh, like style. It wasn't just sort of going through the motions. I remember the SNL Saturday Night Live 
appearance where they, you know, Bono went out into the crowd. I think that's the year, that time. The best. Yeah. He played yep. three songs that night. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember reading like about it through, uh, I forget it was, if it was Amy Poehler's book or oh, Tina Fey's. That, that was November 21st, 2004. I happened to know that because it was the night of my birthday party. So that was before, <laughs> that was before How to Dismantle. And I dragged oh, everyone okay, from my birthday party so we could watch it together. Gotcha. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> they did play SNL this time, but yeah, I'm mixing up the performances of the. But they did play, no, but they did play before for this album as well. But Val Kilmer was the host and it wasn't the one where Amy Poehler danced with him oh, and they gotcha. did an extra song. Okay. Okay. That was probably the last time Val Kilmer was on TV as well. <laughs> I'm afraid you might be right. <laughs> so I love him. Yes. Kidding. He's a great Batman. Okay. Beautiful day. Let's move. Let's get into the song by song discussion because we tend to go <laughs> quite a we bit didn't longer. We talk about the album cover. Oh, I thought we, well, we mentioned, I guess we mentioned the J33, but the, about the J33, airport. Yeah. But the airport. So apparently there's a, um, there's a place you can go to actually, you know, look at where they actually filmed this and everything. And there's a window that you look out of to see where they filmed Beautiful Day. And I tried. I was in Paris on a layover. I was that wasn't my destination, but I was in Paris on a layover during uh, a work trip last year. Actually, about a, a year ago this week. And I was determined, of course, to go see all this and everything, and take silly pictures and you know lay down on the carousel and all that stuff with an apple in my mouth. And um, I somehow ended up past security, God knows how, without a boarding pass because I was doing the electronic boarding pass thing on my phone, which is much more convenient. And I got from Scotland to Paris with no problem because I had that boarding pass. But when I got to Paris, the phone had nothing else. And so I asked for directions to the YouTube site, which they know people look for. And they're like, oh, that's over in 2F or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And in my rudimentary French, I was like, can I go there? I have like an hour to kill between, you know, now and my flight, but my flight's in this terminal. And they were like, well, as long as you have a boarding pass, sure. And I was like, oh, son of a bee, you know. So I had to run and get a boarding pass replaced and then I stopped at Starbucks, my fault, because I saw that they have a pistachio rose latte and it's my thing in every new country to try a new drink in every new country. So I got Priorities. my Star- I know, right? I am a horrible <laughs> fan. So I got my Starbucks and, th- and it was like five o'clock in the morning. So you have to cut me some slack there. But anyway, so by the time that I got my boarding pass redone by somebody that was not very polite in the uh, airport, it was time to go to my own gate. Uh, so, so there's your whole story. But for those fans who are in Charles de Gaulle Airport on a regular basis, they usually are very helpful at pointing out where you need to go to look at that stuff. That's why I, I wanted to tell the story. So you can recreate. I'm sure folks, uh, yeah. people who've listened already have done that, uh, recreated the photo uh, in some form or another from the album cover. And so if you have done that, tweet at us at you yeah. or I, Chris, or use the hashtag ask at you and throw a link to your Instagram photo of it or wherever you happen to put it up on the web and uh, it'd be cool to see those. Um, yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned was I really love the iconography for this album going off the cover art. Each song had its own symbol and they had a bunch of additional symbols set up for the album. Like uh, peace on earth was a dove and walk on was the amnesty international uh, sign and beautiful day had both a sun and a rocket ship flying around the world. And I just really, really liked the thought and care they put into the visual appearance of the album as a whole and the individual tracks. Each one had its own 
uh, kind of design and thought put into it. And I haven't really seen that a whole lot with any of their other albums. And it, it still is one of the coolest things about this album, I think. I do remember a funny story about this artwork, um, which Steve Avril and Sean McGrath told back at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame whatever year they came um, to speak. What was it, 2003? It was a long, long time. Yeah, it was 2003 because this would have been the current album at the time. And they told a funny story about when they, they first showed a draft of this artwork to the band. They liked it, but Larry was like, I don't want any girly hearts. Ugh. And then the stage turned into a heart. So we don't have to. But I just thought that was a great, a great moment. To yeah, but the stage wasn't a girly heart, though. That's the thing. Right. It had yeah. edge to it. It was, yeah. it was a very manly man heart. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Larry. Uh, okay. Speaking of Larry, let's go on. I don't know if that's a terrible segue, but let's go on to Beautiful Day. We're going to do our album, or song by song now, uh, discussion of the album. Well, we are doing an album by yeah. album. You're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> I think that this was a great way to start this album after uh, the whole pop um, storyline that I didn't e- I didn't really know that pop storyline until I started listening to this album and, and uh, I started listening to pop and this album around the same time. So um, what a switch. <laughs> um, so completely different. But um, can anybody ever imagine their life without the song in it? I mean, this is just such a monster song for, ev- I think, for the band and for all the fans. This is the perennial favorite uh, during the live shows. Everybody, everybody sings and dances during this one. Um and uh, I love this video. I remember seeing this video of Michael Stipe and Mario Batali. Have you guys ever seen this? <laughs> yes. I love this video. And Michael Stipe is dancing like a crazy kook. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in the. Um, and he is dancing like a crazy man. And he, at some point, he shouts, "I wish I had written this song." And I think every time I hear this song, I hear Michael Stipe in my head saying, "I wish I had written this song." Um, and I just, I absolutely love it. It's just, um, I think, uh, probably their. Is this their biggest hit from this album? Oh yeah. Is Edge, it? Edge says it's their biggest hit ever, just as far it as overall be. radio play huh? and public awareness and all that. Well, and the fact that it won three Grammy Awards, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal at the twenty uh, at the two thousand one Grammys. Deservingly so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So this was a great start for them to, uh, on their resume, to be the best band in the world again. Or biggest band in the world? What was it that they said? They yeah. Wanted? I think they were for the job. Biggest and best. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a, an excellent uh, choice. Hashtag comeback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they needed it. Yeah. yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, it's definitely one of those songs that's like a monster song that it sounds timeless and feels like it's been there forever. It's also a crazy fun song to play on guitar. And uh, as much of this album, it's kind of like the pop 
uh, was the dis- disappearance, Europa and Pop are kind of disappearance of Edge theoretically, and, and this album's definitely the return of the Edge in many ways. So uh, let's keep on moving to Stuck in a Moment. Stuck in a Moment is a song that most will uh, point to as being the tribute that Bono uh, wrote for Michael Hutchins, the lead singer of NXS, who um, who had died unexpectedly. Uh, but what's interesting about this song is, is that it's one of the first ones out of the uh, early recording sessions that the band uh, really hooked on to. Edge said in YouTube uh, by U2 that uh, uh, Brian Eno had set the piece off um, when uh, Edge performed the piano into a sequencer. Eno then took it and eliminated the first and second notes and just kept every third note, which he then set into a different keyboard with a heavy treatment on it. So it gives an otherworldly effect over what is quite a traditional gospel piano experience. Um, uh Bono's voice also being um, um, what it was at the time, uh, they were quite pleased with with um, with how his vocals sounded on it. Um, and Bono wanted it to be written in a way that uh, wasn't sappy or or wasn't very poppy. Um, uh, Larry had said that the verses need needed to be much tougher. And with the opening line of uh, of, the, of the song, Bono felt that uh, Michael deserved a lyric that wasn't sentimental, uh, that it needed to sound the way that two friends would talk with one another. And I think that the song achieves what they set out to do. Yeah, definitely. It's and uh, Zahara Sarah in the chat room said, "She's is it wrong to say I'm tired of hearing this? Lo- uh, they play it so much in Australia, which is kind of interesting. I don't I don't hear it a lot on the radio here. It's um, but uh, I can definitely I guess maybe the, because of the Michael Hutchins connection, they they play it a, maybe a lot more there. But uh, again, this is another one that um, I'll, I'll be the token guitar guy, I guess. But the it's it's a fun one to play." If you have an acoustic, it's a fun one to play with a band, um, and and it's kind of like the the soul soulful version of U two that you don't get to hear a lot of uh, that comes out in this song that I I really dig about it. So uh, they played so, it at Dreamforce too. We should mention. Yeah, this is yeah. And it was beautiful. Well, so do you normally play uh, the full version or the acoustic version? Because I remember when the acoustic version showed up on U two seven, and it just kind of like totally helped me reimagine my interpretation of the song it edge's work on it is just so beautiful yeah that's definitely and i can't uh can't can't say claim to be as uh, proficient as edge is i tend to be more uh thick fingered with my chords <laughs> but <laughs> definitely keep the, it clean yeah <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's uh the acoustic version definitely helps sort of like I guess that's where I, I prefer the alternate versions, whether it's live in, in stadium or whatever they happen to be, or yeah, that acoustic version definitely is uh, more, I, I, I feel tired in a way of the, the single version of the album version, but um, 
I, it's not that I skip it, I guess, when it comes on. So don't send me hate letters. But <laughs> uh, all right, let's keep moving to elevation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you see me pogoing in my living room? Yes, I was also pogoing in my living room. <laughs> Although my daughter's asleep on the floor, so I did kind of jump over her. <laughs> so, um, so when um, I went to see the Elevation Tour, I was also pregnant. <laughs> uh, very, very pregnant. Just uh, a couple of weeks out from having my son and uh he was a big fat baby so he didn't move around much inside um so he uh but when we went to the show as soon as they launched into elevation he started to kick me and he yeah that's funny to you So I I can never listen to this song and not think about him. Just, I mean, if you could have seen a foot stick out of my stomach, that's what it would have looked like, like a cartoon, like cartoon feet coming out. That's what it would have looked like. So I, um, (laughs) so this was my son's first concert and uh, he's a huge U2 fan um, and he loves this album and he loves a song. So uh, I'd like to thank the band for that. So he was the mole digging up your soul? Yes, literally. (laughs) (laughs) What did everybody think about the Tomb uh, Raider uh, uh, themed video for this one? That's what I was just trying to remember. With an evil Bono. Yeah, it's apparently, according to Wikipedia, cited as one of the most expensive music videos ever filmed. And I can't even remember it right now, which is terrible. For oh, it's Angelina Jolie. And my favorite thing is when they're talking about the or they're, the footage of the making of it, when they tell Larry not to react to the explosion. And the first time it goes off, he just bursts out laughing. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely it's like one of my favorite Larry moments in the history of you, too. It's so cute. So I you all should wonder, go watch it. I often wonder if he's thinking, you call that a kaboom? <laughs> uh, I just like how they start with. Hello, Bono. This is Evil Bono. Yes. And, then, and then you see Evil Bono's rubber legs flying above normal. Bono. It's just That's so right. bad. That's it's right. so bad. It's awful, but it's hilarious. And there's you know, that, Edge is just so into it. Edge looks like the perfect person for that. Oh, yeah. He twitches his head with Laura Croft. And yes. then there's that <laughs> elephant flying over. Right. That's I probably don't know was which expensive. is worse. Yeah. This video or the football version of Stuck in a Moment? Oh. <laughs> well, in the in the football version of Stuck in a Moment, you at least get to see Larry happy. So <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, what's with you two and videos, man? They're, <laughs> it's like they're they're either really good or just really bad. I don't know. I got some issues there, I guess. But in spite of it all, uh, all right, let's keep moving on to walk on. Well, one thing I oh, would like sorry. to say is you are Russian, Chris. <laughs> Hey, we always get heck from the boss for being sixteen-hour podcast. So he's not on this one, and we have an extra person, so budget more time, right? Sorry, so I know this song gets a lot of grief for its lyrics and for its chorus being 
basically just utter nonsense. But it's just fun. It's awesome to bounce to live. Uh, it just gets people's energy up. And yeah, people who complain about it, yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's just fun. I, yeah, I'm I'm not allowed to say what I want to say. <laughs> it's it's just a fun, entertaining, like concert and elevating song. And yeah, just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I need to get my hands on the uh, the single version or whatever, which apparently has more of the live mix that they've done uh i always just listen to the album version that i have whenever i listen to this uh, or else a live you know a concert version but the single version sounds like it might be a little more my speed uh, but i haven't actually have it. you'd yeah. like it yeah. i can send, I can send it to you. <laughs> no you can't because that would be illegal and we do not do illegal no time. i mean like no, that's <laughs> not, you can borrow it through the mail okay it, it would just <laughs> be a preview copy it's right a preview yeah. Copy. yeah i'm not saying i don't do that you know <laughs> The influx of on um, the remix is on the Target Seven uh, album, so right. so that's the live version for the Elevation tour that they walked out on stage for. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Can I go on to walk on now? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Dad. <laughs> I'm just like excited because I'm hearing it again and I've listened to it like four times this week and that's not enough. So I think this is one of those U2 songs that is great on the studio version. And then they have like five other versions that are just as great or better, including the live version. My favorite version is actually the one from uh, America Tribute to Heroes where they have the hallelujah and and peace on earth at the beginning and hallelujah at the end. But for the purposes Whereas of this, my favorite version is the one from, from Raleigh in 2009. I, I'm getting to that. You're cutting okay. me off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say the main reason that I love this song so much is it's the only song that I have ever had the pleasure of hearing while on stage with the band. And Sherry was right there with me that night, right next to me. Um, as we volunteered for the, the, um, whatchamacallit, the, where Campus the masks International. Went up. Yeah. Campus International, thank you, and one campaign um, where you'd hold the mask up in the concert. And in Raleigh, North Carolina, where we were, which was actually a really cool venue, one of my favorite venues, because it was a college campus, I believe, and they didn't allow alcohol. So the crowd was awesome, and there was not, like, drunk people screaming the whole time, but anyway, I digress. Um, Just an amazing, surreal experience to be standing out in front of Bono, basically. We were kind of at the tip of uh, the stage, and feel what he feels, the, the actual vibrations of the crowd just going nuts was something I will absolutely never forget. And Larry was right behind you, Tasula. And Marilyn, my dear friend <laughs> in the world, actually captured Larry and Bono right behind me in photographs and sent me them immediately, which made my life. So yeah, that that was the only regrettable thing is that I was wearing one of Answer Guy's old shirts that night. <laughs> so I look like I'm about 400 pounds. And I was actually kind of thin back then. So yeah, so that is a regret or that I didn't like at least tie a belt around it because it was basically a dress. But I don't care. I don't care what I look like. That moment, I will never forget. What was interesting with this particular song, though, 
was U2 was given the Freedom of the City Award in Dublin in 2000. Um, and, and with that award ceremony, one was also given to Ansan Suu Kyi um, in absence. And at that point, uh, um, at least according to Edge, the band wasn't aware of who she was or what was going on. And, and it was because of that award ceremony that they started to look into it and was taken aback by her house arrest and what was going on in in um in Burma and uh ultimately that's what uh what inspired this song to be written in the first place and the album is dedicated to her as well yeah for for me this is probably one of my top 5 most important U2 songs cuz when I was coming out of the closet, this was the song that I would just repeat again and again in my head. Uh, just there's the specific line, walk on what you've got. They can't uh, feel it. They can't steal it. No, they can't even feel it. And I just remember all the times when, I mean, as a young gay man, when people were trying to pass laws against us or like using us as cuss words or stuff like that. Just those lines walk on, stay safe tonight. What you've got, they can't steal it. No, they can't even feel it. That stuff was more important. Those words were more important to me than most anything else. And just like keeping my head up and keeping on with the process and coming out to more and more people. It, this song, I can't say enough about how important it was for me in just getting over that hump in my life and moving on with it. And when the album was first released, um, I was still recovering from from being laid off by by a previous job, and this helped me to basically move on from from that utter rejection of of being let go, um, and 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 allowed me to accept wherever I was, um, at that point in my life. Uh, and then to have it transform after what had happened on September 11th, the following year, this became, um, uh, one of these songs as, um, Desula pointed out with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, tribute to heroes, uh, program that had happened <clears throat> that suddenly the, the song took on um, the hurt of a nation and and um, helped elevate it out of that that uh, that just um, anger and depression and what do we do? Um, this whole album became uh, America's healer for the most part, and 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 the song played a great deal uh, towards that. Yeah. I remember that MTV made a specific music video mm-hmm. showing people like mourning after the 9-11 attacks yeah, and stuff yeah. like that with this song um, just because it was so completely appropriate for that moment and it struck such a perfect chord with people at that time and place. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Definitely some heavy stuff and, and really cool stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing and that. Some really Ian. fluffy stuff, Tasula. Yeah. <laughs> all, <laughs> sure, yeah. all, all. Which again, we've said many times as we do this, this, this series is just like the different, many different ways that a song and a simple what feels like it could be a simple chord structure and lyric uh, can take on and and become for 
different people in many different situations in many different places and times around the world uh, through history anyways too so um, we'll try and link up some of those videos and, and obviously you, you just you know go on YouTube you can search for walk on YouTube and, and find a bunch of the different videos but even as a uh, Canadian looking down on, or not down, literally, but like no. looking down at the U.S. <laughs> we get that you're up north. You uh, can admit it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I looking mean, down my everyone nose. Everyone else does. Uh, but yeah, the that tribute to heroes uh, concert or, or telephone or whatever it was exactly, but just that uh, the version of of that song there was just like hit an emotional chord with I think anybody. You had to be sort of uh, fairly soulless to not. Yeah, appreciate that. So, um, all right. But uh, moving on, we got to go on to Kite, which uh, at U2 War 40 said, Kite is the best single that never was. You want to talk about one of the heaviest songs that the band has ever done. Kite ranks right up there. Um, uh, Edge said that it had its origins with a little string loop that he he had made. Everybody started playing along and, and and the song just just jumped it was an amazing one long improv in which the melodies guitar parts string sections drums the whole thing came together and bono said that his voice returned in that moment when he sang i'm a man i'm not a child everyone in the studio almost fell over um it it, it it was bono's voice coming back and this is a song that many will will um have have read that uh it it was about bono taking jordan and eve out to fly a kite you know he was he he had been away traveling and and when they took the kite out it it uh it crashed and 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 went to smithereens uh pretty immediately um but but edge had had uh had made the uh connection that it really wasn't about Bono and his girls. It was about Bono and his dad. That was around the time when his father was diagnosed with cancer and it, and it wasn't looking good for Bob. Um, that, um, kite is one of those farewell songs. Um, Bono had, had also said that, um, uh, uh, that when he was singing, uh, he he started to think back uh, when he was a child and going to a caravan site uh, in either Rush or Scaries and remembered that his dad had also tried to do exactly the same thing with a kite and it had gone equally badly. He realized he wasn't singing from uh, quite a theoretical place as he thought. He felt the goodbye aspect of the song was not from him to Bob, but from Bob to him. Um, and and this is a song that that's got um um s- sort of a a um um setting in time where where you're talking about um uh, the last of the rock stars when hip hop drove the big cars um the time when new media was the big idea Th- that was um that was done intentionally um to mark that moment in time and then to leave it behind. Um, so for me, 
it's 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 such an emotional song that people wanted it performed during the elevation tour and he had to be emotionally in that in that uh a mind space in order to do it and i remember my friend uh uh kenny uh when they first performed it in california it's like midnight eastern time and i'm getting um, um, I'm a phone call and I'm like, Oh, you know, and that, and that midnight voice half, half awake. And all I could hear was the band performing kite. He didn't say a word. He just held up his cell phone. And then as soon as the song was over with, he hung up. I'm like, well, <laughs> if anybody ever wants to wake me up like that, feel free. Uh, <laughs> um, um, it, 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 it just guts you every time you hear it and thinking through, you know, uh, uh, when they end up doing songs of experience and finally go on tour with it, um, kite would probably fit wonderfully in that, in that realm. But I think it's too emotional of a song for them to pull out of their, uh, repertoire moving forward. Yeah. There's a, in the chat room and then other places too, I think the kite version that's on the window in the skies. A single, uh, the B side or whatever, it's on YouTube, and we'll link to it in the show notes and stuff. But is a great version of the song as well. If you're looking for alternate versions of songs, just to hear different ways that it's been interpreted over the years, um, is a great, yeah, great version to sing or listen to. Um, anyone else with kite thoughts before we move on? I don't want to cut anybody off like I did last time. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think I heard Bono say uh, when you are a songwriter, sometimes you're the last one to know what you're on about. I think that was those were his words uh, when he was talking about this song. Yeah. Um, And what you said, Sherry, is exactly right. You know, maybe he was writing it for his dad, but really it was about himself and his family and um um, the way that this song just resonates with so many people um, is such a testament to the power of the lyrics and, and the, the tune. So um, I, when I first got this album, I, I didn't really love it. Um, it was a slow kind of burn for me to get to love this album. And uh, Kite was the song that really turned me around to loving this album. To be perfectly frank, I remember hearing the first clip. It was of the chorus when it was still on the YouTube Proto site. And I feel ashamed of, for saying it now, but I remember thinking, wow, they're doing Bon Jovi better than Bon Jovi does. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I feel so bad now. <laughs> to be fair, you were listening to a clip on a website and yes, back then, yeah. back in the day, it wasn't as high quality as it is these days. <laughs> It's also one of the few, relatively few times that Edge pulls out the slide guitar, which is an mm-hmm. interesting little tidbit for any guitar nerds or whatever out there. But uh, And the didgeridoo for the live version. Did he? I yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Even more fun trivia, musical instrument trivia, YouTube trivia. So, all right. Uh, moving on to in a little while. Surely you'll be Back. 
she'll be back in a little while. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Perhaps here. she was blown. Blown by every I was, breeze. I was on mute because I get scolded for typing, and I was actually trying to tweet <laughs> out the picture of myself with Bono on my head. But I will wait until I'm done talking about it in a little while. Did you uh, make a stop at Starbucks to all your? No? Okay, keep it up, Chris. <laughs> Just be sure not to cut me off before I'm done. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, this is my favorite song on the album, and it, it has a special story, and I won't tell you the whole story because I wrote it in a like a song which I'm sure Chris will link to in our show notes Um, but when this album came out I was 25 and I was getting ready to go to Dublin for the Slane concerts I had never been to Ireland by myself I had been to Ireland before I'd never been by myself and before I went it was important that I got my wisdom teeth out (laughs) and that was the first surgery that I had ever had at the at the time. And, uh, I was terrified of it and I had to have my mom come up and take care of me afterward because I live alone and they wouldn't let me like leave the hospital without somebody, you know, taking care of me or whatever. So anyway, mom came up and, and stayed with me for like a week to nurse me back to health. And I was in a lot of pain right after the surgery. And I remember just laying on my couch at the time and, she put this album on for me and I said, just put it on in a little while and put it on repeat. Like, that's all I want to hear. That's what calms me down. That's what comforts me or whatever. She's like, okay. And so she did. And after, you know, 16 versions of this going through, she likes the album and everything. She was fine with it. But she said, you know, honey, something that I've always done anytime that I've been in an incredible amount of pain or been in a really awful situation, I just think, you know, tomorrow at this time, it won't hurt as bad or I won't feel this way. I'll feel a lot better. And that like totally stayed with me for whatever reason. Like it, it was a good psychological game for me that anytime, not just when I'm recovering from surgery or have something physical that's actually giving me physical pain, um, that if I'm in a bad place, it will get better. You know, that that's the moral of the story. And so I equate this song with that lesson that I got from my own mother. Very cool. And um, the chat room is, is mentioning, and, and I think someone was going to mention as well, but just the, the connection that this song had with, uh, with Joey Ramone. Joey Ramon, Bone, yeah. yeah. And how, and uh, the, the uh, vertical tour, or sorry, not the vertical tour, the elevation tour, um, Bonner introduces it in the on the DVD as the, being the last song apparently that Joey Ramone heard on his deathbed, and so it's kind of changed it for him to being a gospel song from sort of a rock song. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that because the chat room would be mad if we didn't. <laughs> oh, it's and, actually very notable. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why the vocal is so raspy is because it was done after a great deal of drink and a rough night. <laughs> Which is it, it's perfect for the song, yeah. It kind of just sure, needs that. Sure, exactly. Yeah. It's about a hangover. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a poignant song. So I was at the Portland Elevation show. I remember it was April fifteenth because it was Tax Day two thousand one, <laughs> and uh, it was just a really awesome Elevation show. I was at Tacoma a few days before. Tacoma was my. I first. was at the Tacoma show too. Yes, <laughs> Tacoma yes. was Tacoma was my first U two show ever. Um, and so, yeah, followed up with Portland a couple days later and I remember they had their second break, uh, their second intermission was kind of long and they come out and Bono just looked really kind of stressed. And I remember him saying that Joey Ramone died today and obviously they played in a little while earlier. Um, 
but uh, he started into Amazing Grace, and those two songs I've always associated with U2's relationship with the Ramones uh, in a little while and Amazing Grace, and uh, yeah, it just that moment at that concert was it, you could see how much the Ramones meant to them. And it was, I think it wasn't until a few days later that they found out that Joey had actually died listening to this song. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, it, you could see just how much it hurt them as a band and how important the Ramones were to them in their history. Yeah. Very cool. And that's uh, definitely something that's, you know, obviously with, uh, songs of experience or, uh, songs of innocence, right. Kicking off with the Ramones as well. Tribute and, uh, carries over throughout the band's history and uh definitely for bono um and it's a very cool moment that you got to be a part of uh and luckily <laughs> terrible pun luckily you weren't stuck there so we're gonna keep going <laughs> with wild honey <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no fate on that, I guess. <laughs> my shelter and my shade. Didn't uh, Bono say he wrote this song to keep people from jumping off the ledge while listening to this? Yeah, album? I remember. I remember something. Adam. Adam said in an interview, the whole album is about death, so we felt we had to put something in there to like make him <laughs> up, like feel utterly morose and despondent. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I want to defend you two songs that are a little bit lighter and happier and goofier. Like some days are better than others off Zeropa and yeah, just stuff like that. But this is one of those where it's just, it's a light poppy fluffy song. It's nothing but foam and air, but it's, it still, it's just so happy and easygoing and doesn't have a care in the world. And there's, there's a specific line in it. Um, I pick you flowers, pick flowers for your hall. I just, there's something about that. It's, it's a short line, but I love the imagery of it. And yeah, I, I do like this song in spite of what everybody else says. And I will happily defend it. For me, this is the September 10th, 2001 song. Exactly. Exactly. You know, this is before, uh, 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 all hell, breaks loose and i think that it's appropriate that it's placed right before peace on earth yeah it's an interesting perspective i i was i've never really been able to figure out where or why (laughs) this song fits in terms of stuff but i guess yeah looking at it in the sort of larger album perspective and just as a lighter moment in the midst of everything else because i don't i don't think of and maybe again this is speaking as the non-american uh, in the group, but you know, it, it is definitely connected with September Light, but it's not like completely in in the same way that emotionally it, it seems to be for the rest of you, and which is understandable. Um, and so it doesn't feel like as heavy an album in that sense to me. But and uh, so I could never really sort of get my head around where Wild Honey was going at. It didn't seem like a a very U two y kind of song, but uh, I won't fight you, Ian, on it. It's. <laughs> It's not that. Trust me. Trust me. It's worth Edge, listening to. <laughs> Edge said that he always thought of it as a bit ob- obla di, obla da. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. That's sort of, 
where I'm at with it too. But it's one of those ones where if I'm close enough to my MP3 player or whatever I'm listening to, I might actually skip it. Shocker of shockers. But if, I, if I'm not, it's not worth getting up to go skip. <laughs> I will sense. say it is a fun song live. <laughs> what is what is worth it to get out of your chair to go skip? That's what I want to know. Chris, from thousands of miles away, I'm slapping your hand away. <laughs> Don't you dare fast forward through it. <laughs> fast forward. That's even an older oh, chair. There we go. Old school. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I will say that this is one of those fun uh, 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 songs. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, be at Larry's 40th birthday party at uh, uh, Providence, although it really wasn't a party. It was a concert, but we all considered it a party. Um, um, and, and they pulled this one out uh, mid-show. Mid and, and it was just everybody's, you know, swinging along and, and just, just having a uh, nice lighthearted moment every so often. You need a bit of sorbet to clean, clean the palate, and that's what this one is. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, peace on Earth. Say that what you mark will surely overtake you And you become a monster So the monster will not break you And it's already gone too far You said that if you're going hard, you won't get hurt When Peace on Earth was recorded, um, the band all felt that it was one of those pour your heart out songs. Edge said it's bleak, but it's real. Um, and it came together very easily. Um, you know, this is a, a reaction from you two about the bombings that had happened in, in, um, in Oma, you know, at the end of the song, Bono's naming off some of the, uh, um, victims who lost their life through the senseless violence that had happened there, um, and and it's it's um, it's the first time in a long time that Bono, you know, uh, uh, wrote about his time on Cedarwood Road and talking about the violence of his youth. I, I, I sort of see Peace on Earth as a um, as 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 part of the trinity of Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, please, and then peace on earth. This is this is like you know you're you're in that last third of your life, and you just look back and and be like, guys, um, violence doesn't work. This doesn't work. Um, and I love the fact that they put in there, you know. Um, uh, uh, we say it every Christmas time, you know. Hope and history won't won't rhyme. Uh, what's it worth? Um, it's really poignant now. Uh, I know that I wrote about this in 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 one of my last OTR columns. That you know, it's it. This song resonates today. Um, it resonated this past Christmas. It every everything that this song is written about is still happening. What. Um, 16 years later and it probably will be still happening in another 16 years edge was concerned about the cynicism um um in it he said uh there's one line he was never sure about the i'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth he felt it was too negative he thought it should have been i'm sick of hearing again and again that there's never going to be peace on earth um but uh you know it's 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 just one of those songs 
it's I don't think that's ever been performed live. Um, maybe just beginning? a little snippet, yeah. you know, just a little snippet. Um, but it's it's just like it's another one of those wake up calls. And I think out of all of the songs on this album, I think this one's the darkest one out out of everything on this album. So I think for me, it's a direct response to Wake Up Dead Man, uh, just because Wake Up Dead Man is kind of this minor key, plaintive, aching, um, scared, like begging of Jesus to come back, to come save people to the point where they even use like uh, the same kind of lyric structure um, – Listen as, where is it? Uh, Listen as hope and peace try to rhyme. And then in this one, Bono uses the same kind of structure, but hope and history won't rhyme. And in both of them, he's very specifically saying, wake up dead man. Jesus, can you take the time to throw in that drowning man a line? For me, um, coming off of pop and then going into all that you can't leave behind. They're two sides of the same coin. I know people like to say, Oh, pop is their most like intense heavy album ever. And all that you can't leave behind is throw away and tissue paper. But for me, they are, it's, it's day and night on the same planet. And these two songs so relate to each other. Uh, and to the point where he actually uses the same rhyme structure and with the word rhyme, uh yeah, uh, it it's a much heavier song and a much heavier album than I think people give it credit for. I love that connection, Ian. Yeah, it's a good one. The uh, there's lyrics too in there that uh, obviously sort of became a theme of of much of what whether it was U two or or just Bono's um, sort of mantras of becoming a monster so the monster will not break you and and that was often repeated as well outside of the context of this song but obviously you know came out of or was inspired by the song or whatever and uh yeah it's a it's one of those sort of beautiful simple songs uh musically that just allows bono's vocal to sort of soar whether the lyrics are, are where you're at or not but just the the emotion that he's able to get across in the song uh, obviously like uh, sherry said at the end of the song listing off you know names of people and immortalizing them as it were in in the song and and something that you know a band doesn't do lightly i don't think you know something like that putting people's names within the song um and and obviously the importance of of doing that i guess is reflected by that fact so um i always appreciate the song and and lo- love any chance uh for you two to be a bit more on the emotional um stripped down kind of simple uh side of of their rock outfit as they be are the biggest band in the world while doing it so <laughs> this could be another song that they could use to highlight the refugee crisis yeah yep yep yeah, certainly could. There's a lot of hidden gems that they could pull out, you know, in the next tour here, depending on what happens and how it all sounds and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of stuff that uh, fans of, you know, smaller songs that don't get played as much could definitely look forward to hearing if they went a certain direction with them. So um, moving on, let's go to When I Look at the World.
so this song gives me a lot to work with in regards to the album. I remember they were saying that they were trying to make an album full of uh, singles, uh, not something that would necessarily communicate itself as a whole, but each song could potentially be released as a single. And when I look at this song, um, it seems like it's the most well-crafted, well-thought-out song on the entire album. It doesn't really mesh with the rest of the content of the album. Most of the songs are about outward expression and about uh, generosity or love or patience or what have you. This song is very narcissistic and self-doubting and um, neurotic, um, but... Just listening to how the guitars are played at the end, how the bridge is structured, and I don't think people give bridges enough credit for how important they are to a song when they're good. This one has a really awesome bridge, and you hear Edge's like really solid, heavy guitar behind all the synths that are playing during the verses, and at the end, when you have the vocals with... I think it sounds to me like Daniel Lanois is singing with them. The tell me, tell me, what do you see? Tell me, tell me what's wrong with me. Um, This album, I mean, excuse me, this song seems very much a piece to itself within the album. And it seems like it has more thought and attention put into it than pretty much anything else on the album. Yeah, it's sonically for me, it, it's a weird one that doesn't seem to fit within and that's sort of what you're getting at too, is it just it's a different sound than what the rest of the album sort of feels like, either straight ahead rock songs kind of or or like the Peace and Earth kind of sound uh stripped back. Um uh but definitely the the ending of the song has always felt stronger to me than the beginning and and feels like one of those songs like maybe they didn't quite land right on how it was gonna be played and uh, or started anyways and and so that's why it never was played live uh either and so um u2 war 48 commented saying do you guys buy that edge forgot how to find the sounds for when i look at the world so they couldn't play it live which i hadn't heard that but um it seems a little bit unlike the edge to do that but uh you never know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Ewan Young in the chat room said, when I look at the world, is all that you can't leave behind is Acrobat. Play it live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd I think rather that's... hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not resurrect the uh, Acrobat argument. <laughs> right. What's your, I, you think, can... I think they played a snippet of it in Omaha. And other than that, yeah, nothing. <laughs> I'm looking that up. <laughs> yeah. I want verification. I like yeah. this. I really like this. You can it. trust me. Trust me. I'm sure you're right, but I just want my <laughs> own benefit. Songs performed. Here we go. Tours.at.youtube.com. There you go. All right. All right. So well, while Tasula's oh, looking yeah. that up, the lyric at the end about <laughs> being in the in the hospital waiting room and and all the smoke and all that stuff. Um, Bono said in YouTube by YouTube that that it that that connects his mother and his father. That the last time he was in the waiting room in a hospital was when he was 14, presumably when his mother passed, and that, um, and and that he was amazed at the conclusion of writing this song, that that actually came out that that you know here we have songs about him and his father and reconciling with the. Uh, um, with with the losses that have happened and the 
and the future loss that, that would be happening of his dad. And he was still able to tie in his, his mom into the lyric, uh, which was also interesting. And I do have a confession about <laughs> when I look at the world. For me, this is where the album ends. I do not believe that New York or Grace belong as part of the cohesive album. Uh, start to finish, the album runs beautifully from Beautiful Day up to When I Look at the World. And then I just think that the album's over with. And then I'm like, oh, here comes the B-sides. You have a child named Grace. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I was just going to my lord. Song. <laughs> Come on, Grace. It's a name for a girl, but it's also a thought that could change the world. I mean, you're, give me a chance to defend it. You're jumping the gun. Here, jumping the gun. Not there yet. And I have to, to I, I have to disprove Ian, unfortunately. Um, oh. I looked it up and it was snippeted yeah. on the third leg of Elevation, November 27th, 2001, the city, Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, oh wow. There's Kemp, my buzzer. Kemper, it's like Kemper saying, Arena. right church, wrong pew. <laughs> Yeah. I knew it existed, though. That's yeah. You were important. right. You were right. They did do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we have tours.atu2.com. That's right. So you can cross-check those th- important references. Because somebody in Kansas City would be screaming at their podcast That's player right, right now. That's right. We'd get like a whole Missouri <laughs> pile of hate mail in the morning. Exactly. We just lost a follower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we did. I'm sure we've lost more than That's one. That's going to fire case. somebody over this. Yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. So let's uh, move on to Sherry. You can, I guess you can just tune out now, right, Sherry? You're, oh, yeah. I'm you're... done. <laughs> in New York, I found a friend to drown out the Voices on a cell phone, voices from home, voices of the hard cell, voices down a stairwell in New York. Just got a place in New York. <laughs> in New York, summers get hot. Into the What's the laughing? The lyrics? The hair dryer. Uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, me. <laughs> that's ian's line nobody claimed this one is it because there's uh is that I, I can't sense the room here are we not liking new york or is it it's, it's so silly yeah. i mean it's not it's not terrible i don't think it's like their worst song ever but i just remember for me the memory comes um when my sister and i actually went to new york um to stand in line for conan o'brien on youtube which is a whole other conversation which i think i brought up before but anyway the night before we were supposed to get up and stay in line they were on letterman or or some i think it was letterman some late night show and they performed this and bono used to do this thing where he was i guess he was trying statue to be the statue of liberty yes and he looked like he was making <laughs> oh a, a turkey sign on his forehead <laughs> and my sister and I laughed about this like hours. I mean, we couldn't go to bed. We were laughing. So we're like, what the hell is he doing? I mean, this is ridiculous. Bono, Bono. And then he repeated it. Like he went on a different, they played it again, you know, whatever show they went on next. And there comes the turkey. I was like, oh my gosh. I think he did it on SNL. Actually. Lady Liberty. I think you're right. Lady yeah. And Liberty. he did it in concert too, which uh, um, um, once again, I would like to formally apologize to U2's production people for ruining <laughs> this song in Providence on Larry's birthday with my birthday balloon. But it wasn't me. Bono let the 
balloon go up into the rafters and it ended up screwing up the screen that should have come down that would project him to look like the Statue of Liberty so it wouldn't come down. And Dennis Dean, bless his soul, he came over, scratched his head, said, I don't know what the f*** do and just walked off. Whoa. So, <laughs> the door is open. We can now say f box. Yeah. Potty Mouth McBoston is it's in the middle. It's going to be So, a nice uh, once again, I life. sincerely apologize for that, <laughs> but um, it was not my fault. You were quoting um, someone. You were quoting Exactly. Someone. And yes. the other thing about New York Live. So, first night in Boston uh, uh, in uh, 2001. Um, People did not resonate with the songs. As a matter of fact, a lot of people used this as their opportunity to sit down. And I knew that they were filming it for, for the Elevation Live in Boston. And I had the opportunity to uh, yell across the, the uh, arena to Willie Williams. And I said, it's Boston. We hate New York. It doesn't matter. We hate New York. The arena because, was that quiet? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Hey, in Boston, we don't like anything New York. <laughs> so, um, so because they were trying to figure out why the audience didn't resonate with this great U2 song. And screw you guys, we're Boston. <laughs> don't be singing us about New York. <laughs> See, now, I've always thought it was really cool that, the, that they had those screens down over the stage on the Elevation shows. And kind of the shadows of Bono were projected up against them. But now that I'm thinking of him just trying to be the <laughs> Statue of Liberty Statue on the screens, <laughs> it's completely ruined the song for me. <laughs> Ridiculous. You have to go back and watch some of that because you will laugh hysterically. I, I mean. wish I'd never volunteered for this podcast. Now <laughs> <laughs> we've totally ruined it. <laughs> hope we haven't ruined it for more of you out there listening. <laughs> it definitely, like the chat room is saying, the live version has energy that the album version doesn't. And uh, I feel like it was a well-intentioned musical journey that lyrically they didn't they they settled for a location-based lyric instead of you know pushing into something more maybe but um yeah so so like miami on pop yeah new york on all that you can't uh, leave behind they should just stop naming songs after locations no they do better when they do it metaphorically like city of Lightning exactly. light yeah yep. exactly yep. yeah yep. not going and, to the literal yeah and i think that it made it on the album because they thought it would be a strong live song um, as opposed to swapping it out with one of the other B-sides like Summer Rain or Big Girls Are Best, you know? Well, and you have to admit their timing was prophetic as usual because this came out, you know, Q4 of 2000 and September 11th happened. Yeah. Yeah. Q4 of 2001. So here we go. Yeah. Or Q3. All right. The uh, final song that Sherry will not be participating in discussion of either. <laughs> yeah, she sure has a lot to say about these songs. She like. Is Grace. And when she walks on the street, you can hear the strings. Grace finds goodness in it. So I think that All That You Can't Leave Behind and Pop are very, very intimately tied together. And as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Peace on Earth, Pop ends with this horrible, necrotic, trapped in a tomb, the world is going to end, apocalyptic song, Wake Up Dead Man. And 
I think with the response you two got to the album and with the response to the Pop Mart tour and how, uh, I mean, they were obviously tired by the end of Pop Mart. They were tired of the criticism. They were tired of dealing with the massive stage. They were tired of pushing exploration uh, at the expense of adoration. And I, all that you can't leave behind feels like a very, very strong response to that. And grace to me feels like a very, very strong response to wake up dead man. Whereas wake up dead man is about being buried in the dirt and about not having any help when you need it. And about just the darkness and hoping someone will listen out there in the void. Grace is about possibilities and openness and light and opportunities and forgiveness. And I think to view the song on its own is to misinterpret what it is as a bookend to Wake Up Dead Man. I agree. Uh, um, as much as, as, as I dissed it earlier. So it's um, not a B-side. It <laughs> it isn't. However, taken taken at face value, it very much feels that way. But it wasn't until um, uh, reading what Bono had to say in YouTube the Bayou Two about Grace interrupting karma and 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 how um, uh, Grace enters and. And, and turns karma upside down um, that 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 connection that you just made about wake up dead man um, very much makes that bookend uh, um, it it almost redeems wake up dead man it almost redeems the whole album of pop if you want to really dig down deeper um, um, into this particular song closing out that you can't leave behind because in the end grace is grace and love are the things that you can't leave behind without grace there isn't anything and it happens to be one of bono's favorite words yeah (laughs) it's interesting that they didn't ever at least according i'm just on youtube.com right now but that they haven't ever performed it live i'm sure there's got to be snippets that have been done i don't think they've even done a snippet no interesting yeah i think it's completely gone yeah yeah um, U2GW in the chat room mentioned that we should have a show just on the last songs on albums <laughs> 40 MLK Mothers of the Disappeared All I Want Is You Love Is Blindness The Wanderer Dead Man Grace what, Yahweh um, which would <laughs> it would be an interesting album just to listen cool. to cool yeah I like that idea yeah that is a good idea and there's similar themes of like song 3 being a certain theme or whatever you know you kind of look through that kind of idea of through the albums um, and sort of pick out you know opening songs and the third song and the last song or whatever um, and I remember doing a bit of that sort of mixtape stuff back in the day but uh, yeah it's uh, I think it's a beautiful song that is probably doesn't get its due as well but the the way it sort of picks up and, and the sample that I happened to choose was just kind of before it started getting into a little bit and it's got a nice sort of swing to it and um, and any sort of uh, like I've said before any chance to hear uh, Bono either I don't know if you call it emoting or uh, getting that gravelly voice a bit and then changing to the higher register later on in the song is is I'll, I'll happily listen to that even if it is singing about New York or whatever <laughs> well and I appreciate some of those songs like that Grace is a good example of a song that I can actually write to because 
when I write, I like to have noise on. I'm not one of those people that wants it quiet. I'm just, I just wasn't brought up that way. I worked in newsrooms when I was younger and I like to write with noise, but it can't be noise that I'm too focused on or else I won't focus on my writing. So I can't listen to City of Blinding Lights, for example, because I'll start singing it and then I'll want to go watch the video and then, you know, all that. But Grace is good enough that it's pleasant and quiet and peaceful and I can just kind of doze out of it and into whatever I'm doing. So it puts you to sleep sort of in a way. Yeah. It's it's definitely one of those that could be on my, uh, you two sleep (laughs) mixtape. It's one of your lullabies. And I I have made one of those before. I mean, back in the days when we did make mixtapes, I had a sleep you two mixtape. Nice. All right. Well, anybody, any closing thoughts before we, uh, close out all that you can't leave behind? Yeah. I, I think this album gets way too much grief. I think it was kind of U2's third big act, after the first one being Joshua Tree and the second one being uh, uh, Octung Baby. Um, it resonated with a lot more people than I think some diehard U2, especially 90s fans, want to give it credit for. And even though... The lyrics weren't as heavy and the songs were more major key and the production was definitely more kind of stripped down. Uh, it's definitely one of their most important and influential albums, regardless of how well some YouTube fans think it fits in with their overall catalog. Yeah, it is, does it kind of get the the knock that it's uh, them trying to go for radio airplay and trying, you know, is is that sort of the bigger knock against it that it's going for the commercial success as opposed to something like pop where they're taking more risks or acting even that yeah i i think people play thought that they it played it safe yeah um i think people don't give enough credit to sheer song craft when they compare it with risk taking and being adventurous in the music I think both of those are extraordinarily important qualities to music, especially with a band like U2, a band that's as intelligent as talent and talented as U2. And when people say that the only U2 that's worth it is when they're taking risks as opposed to when they're just trying to make really perfect singles and quality songs, uh, yeah, it's it's one of the things that I see in fandom today that I don't have much patience for. It's they're two different qualities of YouTube, but they're two very important qualities of YouTube. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong on this, but I think this is the first album that the band released where the first four songs in the in the track list were singles off the album. So if you're going to listen to the album, you're going to hear all that familiar music right up front. Um but I also think that that helps it when when you're at shows. Those are the four songs um, that you get a lot of sing-along with from the rest of the audience. So it's not just the diehards who can sing along. It's, it's, it's like three-quarters of the arena or of the stadium because you've heard these songs on the radio. You've, you've grown up with these songs. Isn't Joshua Tree the first... You got streets, and then I still haven't found. And with or without you, what's the fourth? Bullet. 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 Okay. Yeah, bullet wasn't a single. So bullet wasn't a single. You're right. Okay. 
We got fact checking right on the podcast. People don't even have to send in their comments. Sorry. No, it's good. <laughs> as long as they listen long enough, I, I've heard other people stop the podcast to respond to an error and they don't stick around long enough to hear the correction. <laughs> but uh, anyways. Sherry, you ignorant YouTube fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad you didn't say the word. I thought you were going to say the word. I was like, haven't you said enough? Like, I'm not Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn, are you, uh, Kaufman hasn't kicked in? Are you, are you there? Yeah, like, yeah I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I like about this album is it's, um, it started their era of the super long album title. Um, before this album, all their albums had one or two words. <laughs> and then the next three albums all had way too many words. Um, Larry figured out you can do smaller font sizes on shirts, and then it was okay. Yeah, I guess he he, he got well, smaller shirt them. sizes for women, but I digress. Yeah, and um, the other thing about this album is it's. Um, this is when they really started doing those mid-tempo songs that they're, I mean, they're really good at it, but there's really only two really jumpy rock songs on here. Um, and the rest are fairly quiet. Um, and that's why I like this album because it's, it, it's a salve to me. Like I, I like to listen to it when everything's chaotic and then I put this on and I feel so much better uh, about the world and myself. <laughs> when you know uh because of those mid-tempo songs so um and it's also the last album i feel like and i know people are going to really hate when i say this but it's the last album i feel like is like a full album like what? the concept from beginning to end <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> like Ian might how does issues. Little, you know yeah. the innocence is a concept <laughs> album well, now, but at the time, um, like when How to Dismantle and Atomic Bomb came out, I thought that was a great collection of songs, but I don't really feel like it was a coherent album. And I felt the same way with No Line on the Horizon. So, we'll talk about this in two weeks. <laughs> right, right. Save it for the podcast, Marilyn. <laughs> I'm kind of with Marilyn on that one. I'll, I'll back her up on that one. But Thanks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, before we step into hour two of the podcast, uh, let's uh, wrap things up. And, and yeah, like uh, Sherry said, we'll save some of that discussion for a future episode. But uh, if people do have uh, follow-up comments, uh, polite, nice uh, comments, and, and maybe some disagreements with things that were said, where can they find you guys, uh, you folks on the interwebs? We'll start with you, Sherry. At U2Com Sherry, as always. And Marilyn? Miss Marilyn? And Ian, these are all on Twitter, I think, I'm assuming. Twitter, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I know that, but yeah. Ian, how about you? At Ian P. Ryan. And Tasula. At Tasula. And I'm iChris, and you can follow the uh, At U2 crew on Twitter at twitter.com slash ATU2 and facebook.com slash ATU2.com. Next up, it will be How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, and uh, so be sure to stay tuned for that. We'll be back in a couple weeks recording that live. If you want to tune in, goodstuff.fm slash live and join the awesome chat room. We had a huge group of people. Thanks to all of you for tuning in live and if you want to send in comments for the podcast you can tweet them at us using hashtag ask at you too and uh tweet any doesn't matter you can just tweet it out into the, the world and we'll grab that and, and use it in a future podcast if you've got a question a comment maybe some thoughts on specific songs uh from how to dismantle an atomic bomb and we'll 
interject those as we discuss. And I uh, would love to hear your thoughts and what you loved, what you hate, what you don't care about. Which what's what's the song off How to Dismantle Atomic Bomb that you'll get up from the couch to actually skip <laughs> or go back we to hear, repeat? We want to hear all that you fashion, all that you make, all that you build, all that you break. There you go. That's a great way to end this. Thanks once again to Simon Peta for the uh, uh, theme music that you're about to hear as we sign off. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.